Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you? I'm doing super good, dude. I'm excited to have you on today. For all of the listeners um, who are tuning in, I'm on with a fellow coach inside of Lost and Lifting named Alex. I brought him on about, how long has it been now? Six months or so? I want to say it was around like middle February when we kind of got the ball rolling, kind of got things started. Officially. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we started talking last year, probably towards the end of the year, roughly. And then we took a few months through like the internship and everything like that. And then officially Mm -hmm. started, I think like your first official month was in March. Like when I I think March 1st was like my first official client got in contact late last year, did some internship, internship stuff, did some, just kind of practice run throughs, client kind of demos is kind of just, you know, getting the ball rolling there. And then official client was like March I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So, so yeah, Alex is the first coach that I've brought in to work alongside me inside of loss and lifting. And he has absolutely crushed it just in terms of exceeding my expectations, the results that he's been able to get for people, the feedback that I've been able to get from clients that, um, I bring in that start to work with Alex. It's been, um, a really, really good experience. I, I, I really look up to him and all of the work that he does and all of the education and knowledge that he has. And so um, I felt like it was a good idea to start implementing him into the podcast a little bit and bringing him on and doing um, just some Q&A episodes and, and different styles of things every now and again, just because he is a big part of the business at this point. He's proven himself. He's worthy. Like he's in it. He's just um, a super stand-up guy and somebody that I've really enjoyed being able to work alongside inside of loss and lifting for the last while. So I thought it was only right to start bringing him, him onto the podcast, introducing him to you guys a little bit and just diving into questions and having some fun banter and, and um, that sort of thing. So first and foremost, today is going to be a Q&A episode that we're going to hop into. We've got one, two, three, four questions here that we're going to dive into. But before we get into the nitty gritty of all of that stuff, Alex, I'd love just to hear a little bit not for myself, because obviously I already know, but just like, who are you? Where did you come from? Like your education, um, a bit with like your training, all that kind of stuff. So I know that's a a big question to ask. There's nothing that I hate worse than like first get on the podcast and they're like, give me your entire story. But I think it's um, helpful for you to practice telling it in the first place um, and kind of putting you on the spot just to, to get a bit of an understanding of who you are and why we should listen to your advice. Perfect. Well, thank you. First, first off, thank you for the very warm welcome. Um, I'm excited to be on the podcast. As far as where I'm from, um, so I am from St. Louis, Missouri. Started training here. Hold on. Where are you really from? Oh, really from? So I am from Iceland, far, far away. I think that's super the little, cool. The, the, the little tiny country next to Greenland, as everyone knows it by. It looks awesome. I saw your, your, um, you were just there a couple months ago and like looking through your IG stories and, and just like what it looked like. It looked amazing. 
yeah, so did a little, spent one week in a town called Vesmanad, which is where my grandma and my grandparents live. Then I spent a week in Reykjavik, which is like the capital, kind of like what everyone kind of knows as kind What's of it Iceland. Called? Reykjavik. Oh, you've even got the accent and everything. You have to, you have to roll your R's and yeah, you, get, you have to yes. have it there. Um, and I actually did a little week road trip around the coast part, like I would say like 30, 35, 35% of the coast, did a little road trip on. And the cool part about Iceland is you could drive with the intention of going nowhere and you're always going to find somewhere it's amazing with waterfalls and, you know, like whatever. Like, it's just so beautiful when it comes to like nature. You really can't go wrong no matter where you go there. It looked like that. When just looking through, again, your videos on the IG stories, as I looked at it, the more and more, um, like it pushed me to want to visit there just because it looked like it looked like there wasn't a ton around, but just like the landscape was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Open, a lot of water, blue water green grass, just open pastures. Yeah. It's so it's a go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. I was say it's, it's just one of those trips where it's definitely like an active trip. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to lay on the beach for a week and just relax. It's kind of like more of like a go, go kind of action vacation, but definitely something like if you're into kind of like the more like the hiking, the activity type of vacations, that's something you want to go do. Absolutely. It looks super cool too. So what, um, what brought you from, how did you end up from Iceland and then in the U S? So my dad is born in Iceland, came over to Truman state for college. Where's that? Met, I want to say like Kirksville, Missouri. Okay. I could be wrong, but it's somewhere around the Missouri area. Um, and so met my mom here in college. My mom's family is all from here. Dad's family is all from Iceland. And so it's always been kind of pretty 50-50. And so growing up, we were kind of like back and forth, you know, more often kind of every few years. We'd, we'd always kind of come visit, you know, visit my mom's side of the family, visit dad's side of the family, um, like live in Iceland for a few years. And then when I started high school, brother started college, we just kind of decided it's like, okay, like we're just going to stay here for a while. There's no point in like transferring back and forth just with kind of where we were. And so we've been here since about 2007 or 2008. So about the last like 14 years. Okay, cool. Very cool. And um, as you got here, you started going, so you went to high school here, middle school yeah, as well? So, so I started here in third grade. Okay. Okay. And then like, let's fast forward to that. Then like what happened through high school? Like, how did you get into the whole fitness thing? Like, how did all of this come up? So I got a job refereeing when I was 13, did that from 13 to 16. I was always kind of into like the sporty kind of type of stuff. Always kind of pretty active. Got a job at Schnucks, which is like a local grocery store when I was 16. And that was kind of when I was like a junior in high school, I believe. And then come senior year, I was about to graduate. And I was like, man, like there has got to be something better than pushing carts in a hundred degree heat in the Midwest, coming back inside all sweaty, bagging groceries for people. Like this was <laughs> not my thing, <laughs> not very exciting. And so I thought to myself, like, I like working out. I like being active. What better than to work 
like in the gym or like I, I like I like working on myself. I like training. I can get paid to coach people who are like me. Like, so I started off actually funny story. I wanted to train a bunch of like bro bodybuilders. Like that was like my like initial goal. You went complete opposite. I, I was like, that, that was just kind of like my thing. And then, so I got my certification my senior year of high school. Cause I'm just like, well, if I'm going to do it, like I'm going to do it. Like when I'm not, you know, like I want to do it during the summer when I don't have a bunch of, a bunch of other things going on. So I got my NASM certification in 2018. And that's when I kind of started um, training in the gym. And I was like, okay, well, I can work in the gym. I'm going to be here all day. I can work out. I can just, you know, just be in the gym all day. Like what else, like what, like what is, what is better? And that's kind of when I started like actually personal training. And so since 2018, I've just been doing it ever since. And you've, you went to school for it. Like one of the coolest things to me, when we very first started talking was just hearing your passion on the education side of it, right? Like full admittedly on my end, I really started taking fitness seriously and pursuing it as a passion after college ended. And so like, I didn't, go to college for this and get the degrees for it. Like I learned through a lot of certifications, a ton of research, a ton of study, just a, a ton of work on my own, but like you were planted into it right from the start. And so, um, through college, did you continue training? Like what did you go to college for and all that kind of stuff? So I went to Linwood university or I actually, I started off at community college. I got the two free years there, got my associates just kind of the baseline general classes, saved some money through that. And then I went into Linwood my junior year and I got my uh, bachelor's in exercise science, trained all through that. I did in-person coaching for a majority of those years. And this was always a super interested. So I actually did a majority of my bachelor's degree online because I wanted to be able to train in person and I could always alter my work schedule to fit my in-person training schedule, which allowed me to always have a decent client load all through college and, you know, still like do my class and get my degree. And then alongside my degree, I was always doing some sort of like ongoing education when it comes to not like a degree specifically, but just a kind of different certifications to kind of just make me more knowledgeable when it comes to like anatomy, biomechanics, like biofeedback stuff, hormone stuff, like whatever it is. I was always kind of doing stuff along those lines, just kind of as a little extra knowledge booster along the way. Absolutely. And that's, what's been super cool about bringing you in um, to work with a lot of Austin lifting clients is we work with a, a big majority of female clients who are dealing with different hormonal issues, issues with downregulated metabolisms, just in positions that they need help dealing with first before fat loss even starts to make sense for a lot of people. Right. And that's, what's mm -hmm. been so beneficial about bringing you on is, um, it seems to me that's turned like, that's where your specialty has started to go. And like, you've really started to niche down into focusing on women's health, women's hormones, women's metabolism, like getting all of that kind of stuff optimized to set them up, to be able to be in a strong position, to, be successful with fat loss and create the body compositions that they want to, but spending that initial time optimizing everything first so that it actually becomes a realistic goal for them. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. So I mentioned a few minutes ago, my initial goal when I first started personal training was I want to be like 
the bro body with her coach. But then working at a commercial gym, you just kind of get whoever you get. You yeah. don't really get to pick who you train with. So they just feed your clients from the front desk. They say, hey, you're going to call these people, get them in for a free assessment. And then your job is to sell them. And so this, since I started training in 2018, my roster has always just naturally been like 95% plus just like females. And so what I learned kind of this training throughout the years is there seems to be almost like this missing gap of information when it comes to this female health as a whole, just because of like how much more there is to the female body with like hormones and stuff. It's, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions and it leaves a lot of this woman feeling stuck. Like there's no other answer. And so I think a lot of females would be surprised just how much can be fixed through the proper just lifestyle changes that you can make with like training, nutrition, just, you know, not needing to take like antibiotics or NSAIDs or like whatever, like, you know, it's kind of offered as like the current health solution. There's a, there's a whole myriad of things you can do from a lifestyle perspective that doesn't require those. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people kind of get just feel stuck because they're, they're never given those options. I agree. That's what's, um, just watching your content and seeing a lot of the stuff that you post talking about this, right. And even inside of the, the women's group, um, the women's Facebook group that, that you Mm -hmm. run, just talking a lot about through this kind of thing is, and I don't want to get down this tangent too, too far, but I think it could be important to bring up just like when ladies go in to get put on birth control, a lot of the time, like they're not given the whole story in terms Mm -hmm. of like the effects that this can have in different scenarios. Like I can think of a few clients I'm working with right now that we're dealing with some of this type of stuff to where they just weren't fully informed in terms of the side effects of what, what can happen with, with specific protocols that you go on and stuff that can leave people in worse positions a lot of the time. And so um, that's what I appreciate about what you do too. Like bring, I, I feel like you bring a lot of awareness to that in, in the posts and stuff that you make, which is extremely helpful because a lot of people, I don't feel like are getting the whole story when they're going in and getting prescriptions on particular things, especially when it comes to ladies. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think it's something where like, there's, there's almost like a missing gap of information and it's not meant, I think out of harm. I just think people in general, it's like this don't know or aren't aware to like teach it. And so there's a lot of clients who come to me like you said, like on birth control, not the fact that like birth control itself is bad, yeah. but it's the lack of awareness around it and like what it can do. That's kind of what like, you know, I look into and kind of teach my clients about, or if I mean at anything from like, you'd be surprised is like, you know, someone coming to me saying they're like infertile, you know, they've been, they haven't had, you know, they can't have kids they make some changes, bam, now magically like they're pregnant. Yeah. Or for example, someone who went to the doctor for anxiety, depression, got put on some antidepressant medication, you know, you fix their gut health and bam, like you'd be surprised, like how it all intertwines systemically and how it all connects. And that's kind of what my goal is to teach my clients. And like through my content, it's just when you take a, almost like a bottoms up approach or like, you know, kind of like an inside out approach, you focus on the internal, you'll be surprised just how much better the external works because of it 100%. Like how, the, how the external like looks so you start the inside 
where I think a lot of people focus on the external first versus like the internal. But when you balance the internal, the external just naturally come as a, come as a byproduct of that. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. And I think that's what makes us a really good team. And, and what attracted me to you a lot was because we're similar yet with that kind of stuff, our, our specialty is a little bit different, right? Like I always talk about, like, you have to work on yourself in the mental aspect first for the physical aspect of things to be able to like, to transform and to take place. And so we have a lot of ladies that will come in that are, are in that position that are, are struggling mentally. I've been trying to lose fat for a super long time, or just trying to get into better shape and are struggling to get over the mental hurdles that are stopping them. And that kind of follows right into my specialty in terms of a, a lot of the, the people that I work with. And then for you on the other end of it, like with hormones, with, um, metabolisms, with just all of these more complex situations that can happen as well. That's something that you've really dedicated yourself to, to learning about, to, to becoming an expert in, so to speak. Um, so that it just makes a strong duo for the two of us, because we can both kind of stay in our lane and make sure the clients that do come in to work with us are getting an expert in whatever area that they're truly struggling in, which just leads to much higher success rates and, and much um, better journeys for everybody that, that comes into the business. So I think that it works out really well. And that's why um, I think that it will continue to work out for a long time. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. But um, with all of that, man. Yeah. So from there, like where you're at today, so you worked with people for a super long time um, in person, like what's, what's that like now, like this year for you as to where you're at today compared to where you're at, like at the first of the year, like how has your life changed or has it changed? Like now what's going on? So last year around, I'll say like September, October, is when I first started kind of trying to really dive into like online coaching just because of the ability to scale beyond. Like if I'm coaching from 4 to 8 PM, I can fit in X amount of clients. You know, if, if five o'clock's taken, well, sorry, like I can't train you. So I knew there was almost like a better way of doing it. And I knew that was through like online coaching. It gives the client more freedom, more flexibility and gives me the opportunity to help more people. And so that was kind of the direction that I was headed in late of last year, but still majority of what I did was in-person coaching. And then I'll say towards the end of last year, I forgot when you put up the post, but I had been following you for a while. Oh, kind of love the content you put out. This, this is like what I want to teach. Like, this is like the same direction of coaching. Like I'm the same direction of coaching that like I'm trying to head into. And so I know you put on your story one day, I'm looking for an assistant coach to essentially kind of like mentor and bring them underneath me to help with the coaching of clients. And so going through the online coaching myself, I had kind of realized I loved the training part, not so much the business development part. I didn't like the whole building up of the business, but I liked the coaching part of it. And so the reason I thought it was great was because I can come in you like the business development side of things. That's what, you know, kind of gets you going. Like that's, you know, your kind of route. And so now I'm, I'm like, we started together. I applied, we talked on the phone, got to know each other a little bit, determined if it was a good fit. You brought me on. And now what, you know, what it's like is, you know, you mentor me, you coach me, you walk me through. Of course, I'm, you know, I'm part of the business development side of things, but now I'm able to, 
fully coach online. I don't coach in person anymore as of May this year. And it just gives me the freedom and flexibility to just fully coach online and put all my effort towards this without having to worry about like all like the back end side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, what's been super cool, especially earlier in your career. Like you're, you're by no means early in, in your career, you're four or five years into this thing, but just being able to focus purely on coaching, right? Like I know when I first started, one of the hard things was I was trying to build a business and I was trying to learn how to coach at the same time. Mm -hmm. And both kind of took away from one another, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't able to optimize things business side. Maybe I wasn't able to optimize, like I wasn't able to like fully dive in and like try to become the best coach possible because like I was always being torn in both ways, if that makes sense, which, which can be super hard. But for you, like, that's what was so cool is because I could tell that you were just extremely passionate about coaching. Um, and like, that's where you wanted to put your efforts and put your mm-hmm. time and your, your work into without having to deal with the other side. So as you came in, it, it made a perfect fit because as you said, I, I love the business side of things. I love scaling things and making things bigger and like having visions and that kind of thing. And then to be able to bring you in and have you just like be able to absolutely love this other side of the process. And like, that's what fully fulfills you. Like things just worked out perfectly that way too. And what's even super cooler than that was um, like for me, another thing, like not to toot your own, your horn too much as, as we've done to the first part of this, but um, I really love that you came in and you were working with people in person for the first long mm-hmm. amount of time. Like one, one thing that stuck with me that I heard from Jordan Syatt was he would always say, and he was kind of like a mentor afar from me in a way. Like I never like actually did any one-to-one work with him, but I, I've always watched what he's done relatively closely because I've looked up to it and think that he's done an amazing job and just listen to his advice and his perspective on, on personal training careers and things. And he would always say, um, being an online coach will never make you a better in-person coach but being an in-person coach will make you a substantially better um, online coach. And I found that to be very true for myself. Like when I had opened the gym back in the day, I was doing that and working with people online and working with people in person. Um, as I started to work with more people in person, I started to be able to identify people's struggles in person that I wouldn't have been able to identify online that now I can help people with online because I worked with people in person. But if I hadn't done that first, like I wouldn't have understood um, movement patterns correctly or how to coach movement patterns correctly or how to program movement patterns correctly for specific types of individuals and, and different things like that. So that was another thing that I really loved was that you had been coaching in line or in person for a considerable amount of time. And as most of us know, like being an in-person coach, in my opinion, isn't something that's super sustainable or enjoyable to do for the rest of your life. There's some people that can do it, but for the majority of people, like it's a, it's a huge demand, right? Like if you're going to be in the gym Mm -hmm. from eight to five, every single day coaching in person, like that, that can be super draining. Just working with that many people on your feet all day. Like it's not the, the best lifestyle in the world, in my opinion, but being able to have you like at the point within the first few months, just be able to like do as well as you did and be able to transfer you directly from having to work in person to taking the majority of your business online. And then just being able, like you said, to keep a couple of clients in person that you just enjoy working with. And it's something that kind of keeps your brain fresh and your, your coaching cues fresh and whatnot, but be able to transfer to the online um, has been super cool. And, and even like being honest, fulfilling for me to, um, to be like on the back end of that, helping you do that has just been a super cool experience for me too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely nice to, like I said, to be able to focus my efforts on online coaching. And then now I spend maybe two, three hours a month doing the in-person coaching just because I feel like it keeps me kind of fresh. I think it's something to, you know, stay in the habit of doing. And then, you know, I just think that helps translate, you know, into online coaching. So it's not something I, you know, ever want to give up, but it was something where I was tired of waking up, you know, you go to the gym 6 a.m., get home at 10 a.m., you have a few hours off, go back in the afternoon because you're always working whenever, when everyone else is off work. Yeah. It was always like the split shift where I would have time off, but it was always from like 10 to 3 p.m. knowing I had to go back into work for that evening. So I was never home in the mornings. I was never home in the evenings. And so being able to kind of free that up has been a very pleasant experience for me. So absolutely. And the cool thing about that too is, and I'm sure you've been able to realize a bit as well is working with people online, in, in my opinion, um, personally, you're able to help people a lot more than you're able to work with them in person as fitness as a whole. When I'm talking like the accountability piece to nutrition, the um, like that you're still giving them the proper programming, as long as people understand movement patterns correctly, I think that the online space, like just allows you as a coach to be more fulfilled at the end of the day, because you can get people better results that may, that's not, maybe that's not your opinion. It has been my experience though, just because like when you're working with somebody in person, like you get that time with them in the gym, but you're not necessarily like holding them accountable with their nutrition. You're not looking into, into food logs. Like you're not helping them in more of that holistic approach, like with their entire lifestyle, you're just helping them in the gym, which there's a time and place for that. And everybody, um, the majority of people, in my opinion, could potentially benefit from some in-person training to get comfortable with movement patterns and, and how to manipulate a gym properly. But at some point, moving to more of it. Like if you're serious about a long-term goal, going the online route to where you have somebody handling your nutrition and your training usually leads to, excuse me, a better result long-term just because you have more control over everything and can truly help mentor somebody through a physical transformation, as opposed to just working on the training side. I'm curious to you and and don't be like, have to um, agree with me, but like, what's been your experience with that in terms of the two? So I think I'm a little bit of a different case because I was the trainer, the in-person trainer who I would actually charge a little bit more, but then also give them the accountability outside of the sessions. But I know that's not the norm for a lot of in-person trainers. So majority of in-person trainers, not everybody, you will go in two, three times a week, half an hour, maybe an hour. You get your session in, see you later, you know, talk, talk to you at, at your next session, which I think it's good, like you said, to build the baseline foundation of good exercise movement and just getting that kind of baseline knowledge in the gym, kind of feeling comfortable. But what most people really need and where I found most success with my clients wasn't during the session. It's what happens outside of those sessions as far as accountability and support goes that people really need because that, that people really need because people know they should be working out. People know they should be eating better. People know they need, you know, more protein and more fruits and veggies, all this different stuff. But it's why aren't they doing it? What's that like mental roadblock? And how can we help you work past it? That's really important. And that doesn't happen in two sessions a week, half an hour. Agreed. 
100% agreed. I, I've actually talked to you about that. I, now that you say that, I remember that you mentioned that, that you almost did like, it was like a hybrid because you were doing nutrition coaching, um, with the clients, basically like through an accountability metric outside of your actual training sessions, which gives the best of both worlds. Really? Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that's a great approach to take, but just as you said, that's definitely not the norm, at least from what I understand. Like when we're on calls talking with people who are working with in-person trainers who are looking to potentially switch to online, like they're not getting that support on the nutrition side. And that's usually the, the missing link for the majority of people, like having the structure for the nutrition, but even more importantly than that, having the accountability of somebody like bugging you, making sure that you're staying on point with everything that you're doing and leading you in the, in the right direction with things. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah. So yeah, man. Um, do you have anything else that you want to share on, on any of that? Or should we dive into some questions? I think we're ready for some questions. <laughs> cool. So, um, like I said, we've got four questions here that we're going to dive into. I got all of these via, I believe two of them actually came via DM and then two of them came in the show notes to the podcast to where you guys can always go, as you know, and there's a link down below in the show notes that's lostlifting.com backslash podcast to where you can go. And when you're listening to these episodes, if we're ever talking about something that like you don't fully understand, or you're not sure how to um, use the information specifically for your situation, or you just have extra questions off of the answers that we're giving, you can always go to that link and leave your questions or leave your comments or feedback or suggestions for future podcast episodes um, and leave those and submit them. And they'll end up directly in my inbox from there. And then I'll always take the time to make sure to shoot you back an email, breaking things down for you personally. And then if I feel like those are solid questions that could potentially come onto the podcast that would help all of the listeners, I'll bring those on and answer them in more of a broad spectrum for everybody too. So um, with that, Let's just hop into these, man. So the first one is, if I don't feel anything in my muscles after training, does that mean I'm not working out hard enough? I would say this is like an it depends answer. Should you be sore sometimes? Yes, but all the time, no. So when you're looking at something like soreness, what what causes soreness for most people is going to be looking at things like the novelty of the exercise. So if I haven't done like a barbell back squat in three months, or, you know, or if I took time off for X amount of time, that barbell back squat is probably gonna make me pretty sore because it's a new movement for me that I haven't done in a while. Another thing you're also looking at is something like muscle length. So when you're looking at different exercises, you think of a squat and a leg extension, they feel totally different. One feels like it's like a total contraction. One feels like a stretch. It's because you're training opposite ends of the muscle. The more stretched a muscle is during a movement, the more damage it's going to create, increasing the chances of you getting sore. So looking at the novelty of exercise, as well as the movements you're using, those are going to be two two huge things when it comes to this, whether, whether or not you feel sore. And so occasionally, if you're introducing new exercises, if you're using, you know, higher intensities in the gym, using some more, you know, muscular demanding exercises, yes, you'll be sore. But if you're always sore, I would be looking at things like your sleep, your nutrition, and your hydration, and make sure, and it's your overall exercise volume as a whole, to make sure that your body can actually recover from the exercise that you're doing. Cause if you're not recovering, 
you're not going to see the progress that you want to see. I would agree with 100%. I think that um, you nailed that. A big thing to focus on there is just as you said, the specific movements that you're choosing inside of your programming and in your workouts are going to have a big correlation in terms of how sore you're going to be at the end of those move or at the end of that training day and following day. So, like a very simple, um, a very simple example to use for that. Let's say a movement like a straight leg deadlift to where we're putting the hamstrings in an ultimate, like a, a very, very stretched position at the bottom of that movement to where they're fully loaded. That's going to, mm-hmm. um, it's going to break down, just cause the most amount of muscle damage, right? Which is going to lead to more soreness with time as opposed to an exercise like a leg curl. Let's say you're doing a seated leg curl to where you're doing that movement and, um, in the short, you're, you're challenging that movement in the shortened position. So at the bottom of that exercise, when you have your legs fully curled, that's when their peak contraction is going to be on the hamstrings, right? So in that position, that's not going to cause as much muscle damage in that shortened position, which isn't going to lead to as much, um, as much soreness in the following days. And there is a lot of study out now. There hasn't been any like meta-analysis on any of this yet or anything, but there is a lot showing that this will be useful that the more stretched exercises that you do generally lead to are are generally more effective in terms of leading to more muscle damage, which could potentially lead to, um, building more muscle, like being more efficient in your training, doing more stretch type positions in types of your, of the exercise that you're selecting. But at the same time with that, like not to get too nuanced here, but at the same time, you if you're only doing stretched positions in your workouts, like you're always going to be extremely sore and under recovered, which is going to not allow you to be able to push as much volume or as high of intensity, which is going to be a double-edged sword on its own. Right. So the important thing from that perspective, um, in my opinion, is making sure that you're, you're smart with resistance profiles and how you're programming things, right? Like making sure you have some stretch position movements, making sure that you're having some shortened position movements um, in terms of what you're programming to make sure that you're able to create a very strong stimulus, but not such a strong stimulus that you're not able to be able to recover from it. And the last thing that I'll just quickly add on to that um, is just to come back to your question and answer in a bit of a different way in terms of if you don't feel anything in my muscles after training, does that mean I'm not working hard enough? So you should have a bit of a pump at the finish of your training sessions. Like if you're leaving a workout and like you feel no blood in the muscles that you were working, I would say chances are either your form is probably off in the exercises that you're choosing or two, you're maybe not pushing hard enough in those exercises to actually push some blood into those muscles. And like getting a great pump is not an indicator of like having the best or most productive workout ever. But if you're not pushing some blood into the particular body parts that you're trying to work in the intended movements that you're doing, um, there's a good chance that you're not pushing yourself hard enough, or you're not doing those exercises, um, effectively, like I said, which yeah, could have its own issues at the end of the day. So like, you don't need like this big blasting pump at the end of the day to where your muscles are completely full and like you're flexing without even having to move. But at the same time, in my opinion, you should feel some blood in those muscles. They should feel like they have just been worked in some form of a way. And if they don't, like I said, you're probably running into one of those two issues. Would you agree with that or have anything to add to that? Yeah. So going back to what you were saying like earlier about the kind of little nuance thing, like I agree there, I'm not going to get like too nuanced, but you know, you want to include some level of, you know, length and exercises 
some level of shortened exercises to make sure that you're not just causing too much muscle damage through every single workout. They all kind of play their important role. And the goal that I aim for with clients in training is just making sure that I know the exercises that are effective that I do. I'm really looking at finishing the sets with, I would say, like no more than like two to three, two to three reps in the tank. And I think a lot of people would be really surprised what that actually feels like on an intensity level. Like it's not just like when the muscle starts burning, like usually you can put a push a little bit past that. And if you're pushing that intensity there, you'll be sore from time to time. It just won't be like all the time. It might, it might be for like a week at the beginning, at the beginning of like a new like meso cycle. And it kind of starts to like kind of drifting off, you know, mm-hmm. four or five weeks later, you kind of start a new phase. It might come back for, you know, a couple of days and it kind of starts slowly drifting off. That's kind of what I found with myself as well as most clients. I'd agree. 100%. I think we, we gave plenty of context to that one. So let's move on to, um, to the next question. It is, <clears throat> should you gradually decrease calories from maintenance to create a deficit or go right to a 500 calorie decrease? I would say this like simple answer, like I would not do a gradual decrease from maintenance. What I like to do is first, before I even go to a deficit, and I think this is something that a lot of, a lot of people tend to miss is I will spend two weeks with clients somewhere kind of somewhere around like two, you know, two, three weeks finding what we call like, like a maximum maintenance. So it's like, what's the amount of calories that we can eat while still feeling comfortable? You're not overly full or bloated, but you're still maintaining around the same body weight and same body composition. And the reason that number is so important to find is because a lot of people tend to think of maintenance as like a single, like my maintenance is 2000 calories, not realizing maintenance might be 2000 to 2200 calories. So you might have a little bit of wiggle room. And so for me, the way I look at it, I would always want to start a diet off eating more food than not. From there, if you just go to decreasing, say, 100 calories at a time, and say you go to 2,200 calories, your maintenance range is 2,000 to 2,200, you can go to 2,100, and then 2,000, and 1,900, but you're just expending the amount of time that you're eating lower food which is like, you're not really going to see much, you know, dropping from 22 to 21 to 2000, you'd be much better off just going from 2200 to 1700 and going straight into that deficit to see the immediate result. From there, once you make that initial 500 calorie drop, that's when I'll go to the smaller kind of 100, 150 kind of calorie decreases. Yeah, I think you nailed that for some reason. Um, I've worked with a decent amount of mentor clients over the years, like just helping other people, like with their own coaching and, and like methods and things that they're doing as well. And one thing that got taught for some reason that I've ran into some other coaches that they would do is just, as you said, they would start somebody like at their maintenance level, which let's say is 2,200 calories per day. And then they would just slowly drop them from 2,200 to 2,100 to 2000 to 19 to 18, like on a week to week basis. And Mm -hmm. all that you're doing is just slowing. Like you're keeping yourself in a 
maintenance, like not as optimized of a maintenance for a longer period of time. And then you're just creating such a small deficit throughout that period that you're not going to really see any results from it. So you're going to feel like you're five or six weeks into the diet with seeing no progress whatsoever. When if you just would have been more aggressive right up front and made sure to have created that deficit right off the gate, well, six weeks in, you could maybe be like, three to eight, eight, three to eight pounds down, depending upon the individual and the current situation that they were in. Um, and you just wasted time to get down. And so I think a lot of people think, because when we're talking about like reverse dieting and different things like that, to where we do like one, um, slight increase, like major increase from we're in a deficit, maybe we increase up to like 300 calories and then we slowly creep up to maintenance from, from there. Right. And so people will take that, on the opposite and think, oh, well, to go back into a deficit, then I need to creep back down, which isn't the case whatsoever. If you're going to go, go into a deficit, just go into a deficit. Don't waste a five-week period on slowly decreasing calories of anything, like make the choice of keeping calories high for that five weeks and continuing to optimize maintenance and optimize your metabolic rate and make sure hormones are in a good position, keep your habits in a really good place, like make sure that your discipline is there, um, your routine is there, your food choices are on point, your protein is on point. And then when you're ready, just make that initial big decrease in calories to get yourself into a deficit. That doesn't mean that you need to drop, excuse me, down to like 1200 calories. If you're maintaining on, on 2000, 2200 calories, but make that bigger decrease of somewhere between, in my opinion, somewhere between like 300 to 600 calories right off of the gate, right out of the gates, see how your body responds. If you need to continue, <clears throat> see, sorry, I got something caught in my throat. But if you need to continue decreasing because your body's not responding, continue decreasing. But um, don't just make that gradual decrease because you're going to waste time and not optimize either end of things, which is going to, in the long run, make you feel like you dieted for five weeks and see no progress from it and be more frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I will have to add in, because I know someone's probably going to do it. There's a lot of people that I talk to that have been trying to diet for six, eight, 12 months, maybe even like you're dining for years where their metabolism has now, assuming they've been like doing that you know, for a long time, your metabolism over time can what we call adapt or downregulate, where if you're actually being consistent, like 90% consistent at 1500 calories and not losing weight and you're truthfully like weighing your food, you know, being consistent with that, you know, nailing down biofeedback, you know, your sleep and recovery, all those different things. Your goal now should not be to drop from 1500 to a thousand calories. There needs to be some background work before you drop. Otherwise you're just going to run yourself into like bigger, deeper problems. I agree. 100%. I think that's a super important point that, um, that a lot of people miss, unfortunately, which keeps them stuck. I always talk about that. Like I was doing a Q and a yesterday on Instagram and one of the people put like, I, I know I need to go through a reverse diet because I'm not losing anymore. And like my biofeedback is bad, but I just don't want to. And like the answer that I said is you're only slowing down your results longer than like, you're only going to make this process harder than it needs to be by not doing what's needed in the short term, like to set yourself up better in the long term. And it's so important to understand when we're going into deficits and understanding the importance of nutritional periodization in terms of a deficit is needed to lose body fat. But at the same time, like there are negatives that come from being in a deficit for too long that will have, that will keep you in a 
in a very poor position, hormonally, metabolically, mentally, like we have to make sure that we're periodizing those deficits and paying attention to biofeedback, like your stress, like your recovery, like your energy levels, like your hunger levels. And as they get to points where they're starting to feel more and more unmanageable, that doesn't just always mean that you need to try harder right? As the metabolism starts to downregulate, like some point you're going to be trying harder and harder. And as the metabolism slowly gets slower and adapts to what you're eating and you're creating less progress, um, and you're having to try harder, like on your mind, that's going to make things so hard, right? Like you Mm -hmm. end up in this downward spiral. And so the most productive thing you can do is increase calories back up to a maintenance, spend time there for a good amount of time, allow your stress to get better, allow your hunger levels to get better, allow your, um, your sleep to get better, allow your recovery, your training to get better, to put yourself in a position to be able to go back into a deficit and take advantage of the few months that you're in it to drop body fat at a quicker rate, make it easier, not have your hormones downregulated and, and your recovery down and just put yourself in that position to be able to maximize deficit phases in the short term, rather than thinking that you have to live in one. And we end up with a lot of people that come in um, to loss and lifting in that situation, right. That don't understand the nuance to all of this and, and nutritional periodization who we end up working with, who are already in a position to where they've been in a deficit of really low calories for the last year and biofeedback, super poor. And we always have to make that distinguish, just make sure that they understand and set that expectation from the beginning. Our goal for these first few months is nothing to do with fat loss. The goal has everything to do with about improving your body hormonally, metabolically, mentally over a two, three, four, five month period to put you in a position to be able to go, go back through a fat loss phase. And we'll all get on conversations with people and walk them through this and tell you, this is the only way that I can actually help you. If you're, if you agree to this and like, you're willing to do what's needed in the short term to set yourself up to be successful long-term, like we would love to work with you. That'd be amazing. If you're not like, there's no sense in coming in and working with us. Cause there's nothing that we can necessarily do to help you. And some people are ready and willing to do what needs to be done. And unfortunately some people aren't, but I think you have to set that expectation accordingly. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those things where the sooner you accept at some point, like it's going to happen. And the sooner you get it over with, the sooner you can get to the actual fat loss, deficit, losing body fat type thing. And while a lot of people see it as the, they don't see it as like much of a, as like a quick result or a quick fix, spending six months at maintenance and then six months dieting for a year's worth of work to be able to like learn the habits and principles and maintain that for like a long term, a year is really like not that much time. Yeah. I think that's a good point to make. It sounds a year sounds so long in the short term because we're always marketed online to like these quick fixes, like these fast results, you know what I mean? And so in everybody's mindset, like, it's like, Oh, like I've taken my whole year or my whole life to gain this additional 20 pounds, like slowly crept it on. But now when I want to lose it, like I want to be able to lose it in the next month, you know, like everybody's expectations are set up, um, unrealistically. And like mm-hmm. thinking of it that way, okay, if I can take an entire year to live the next 50 years optimally, confidently with knowledge around my nutrition, my training and building up these right habits, like that one year really is so minuscule, right? But in the short term, like people want to put in effort and see a result from it today. But unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. Let's hop into, let's do one more question here. I know that we have four, but we'll just do one more. Cause I don't want to take up um, too much time. We want to keep this to around an hour. So we'll hop in or to one more question and then we'll close it out from there. Does that sound good? 
Sounds good. Cool. Um, so it is, is it better to add weight or reps to your exercises over time? I'm going to answer this with both and the way I could do this. So I'm going to start off by, I don't do both forever, but I think they both have their time and place to be added in. So I'll tell you first off, like the last thing I want to do is be in the gym doing sets of 20 on barbell back squats. Like I'm not going to just going to keep increasing over and over and over again, like it's not going to happen for me. So what I like to do is oftentimes like if I write a program, you might see rep range of eight to 10 or rep range of 10 to 12. So what the goal of week one is, is go in the gym, find like a baseline weight that challenges you for eight reps. As the weeks go on, try and see if like week two, week three, you can maybe get nine reps. You might be able to get, you know, and over time you build that same weight up. Say I'm doing 25 pounds on say standing shoulder presses. I work my way up from eight to 10 reps as the weeks go on. Next time, you know, I go to do that shoulder press, I will then go back down to eight reps, but now, but now with like 27 and a half or 30 pounds. And so I'll increase the reps first up to like, say, you know, 10, 12 reps, go back down. So I'm not just forever increasing reps and then add weight. And then again, add two and a half, add five pounds, you know, over time and just increase one. I think a lot of people would, I think a lot of people would really underestimate just how much adding a rep here, adding a rep there, adding two and a half, five pounds there, like will make in the long run of, you know, of training. If it is committed to those small, you know, the small increments and just focus on like that and just getting stronger at baseline movements instead of like constantly switching between like this and this, like if you just keep like a baseline, just, you know, squatting variation, lunging variation, hinging variation, you know, pressing variation, all those different things. And you just focus on getting strong in those baseline movements. That's really like all you need. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think partly where this question comes up is people think that adding weight or adding reps is going to lead to two different results, right? Like they think that they're two different things. Like there's the, the myth of like lightweight for high reps is going to make you toned over time. Right. Or, and low weight mm -hmm. for, or high weight for low reps is going to make you big and muscular. But at the end of the day, progressive <laughs> overload is just increasing, doing more than what you are doing more or doing better at what you were doing previously, which can come in the form of adding weight or adding reps over time. The goal when our, when we're training is just to get better at it at a high intensity in terms of trying to train somewhere between for the majority of people around anywhere from zero reps left in the tank, meaning you're training all the way to failure to somewhere around like four reps left in the tank over time. And when it comes to hypertrophy in terms of building muscle um, and creating definition or tone on your frame, like the majority of ladies are, are shooting for um, as long as you're doing those two things, you're, or well, as long as you're training relatively close to failure and you're aiming to progress those lifts over time in terms of weight or reps, it's going to lead to that result that you're trying to create long-term. There's not like, 
you've got to get out of the mindset of thinking if you're lifting heavy for low weights, it's like going to make you like this big and bulky person lifting lightweight for high reps is going to turn you into like this toned lean defined person, right? It comes down to just making sure like there's not specific rep ranges that are special at this point. Like you could be doing lifts, you could be doing five to six reps as long as they're relatively close to failure and you're progressing that over time, you're going to see the same sort of progress as if you're doing 20 reps, as long as you're relatively close to failure and progressing the weight or reps over time, right? Now you can get more optimal there and, and get more efficient with your training. And I would argue if your goal is to build more muscle, have more definition, be leaner, um, you should probably be training the majority of your lifts somewhere between eight to 15 reps is probably going to be most optimal just to keep your joints more healthy rather than have to lift quite as heavy weights in those lower rep ranges, as well as not causing too much fatigue going super high in rep ranges to where you're just having to accumulate a ton of volume to be able to get all of that in the efficient range is probably going to be somewhere between eight to 15 reps or six to 15 reps, eight to 15 reps, somewhere right around there. So as long as you're trying to progress your lifts in terms of adding reps over time until you're getting, like Alex said, somewhere between like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 reps. Once you get to that point, um, then it's time to start to add weight, drop the reps back down and build those back up over time. That would just be called a double progression model to where you're either adding reps or adding weight over time. And when you add weight is generally when you get to the top end of that rep range. So hopefully that makes that a little bit clearer. Do you have any, um, thing to add to that, Alex? Is that pretty clear? So I'll just add, because I know you mentioned the, um, like the kind of like the recovery bit of it, I kinda, or like, I guess the fatigue bit of it. So a lot of people tend to think, and I think this is the kind of like a common misconception that, you know, kind of going lower in reps, say like six, seven, eight, you know, say like, you know, to 10 reps going heavy is going to be more fatiguing and require like a longer recovery period for your muscles because you're using like more weight. But if you actually like look at the research behind it, I think this was done by Chris Beardsley, where it actually takes your body longer to recover systemically from using lighter loads for higher reps. Because mm-hmm. you're just increasing the amount of time that it takes your body to actually reach. It's, it's almost as like, you know, like the first, if you're doing like 20, 25 reps, well, those first 20 reps don't mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It's those last five reps that are, like, you know, really counting. So you're actually just increasing the amount of time that your body needs to recover from that workout by picking those lighter weights and increase like, in, like higher, higher rep ranges, lower weights. Exactly. I would agree. And with that too, um, there's that side of it, which is very important, but then as well, like when you're training in those super high rep ranges, in my opinion, it's a lot easier to not train close enough to failure, right? Because you're just accumulating so many reps that like mentally it's hard to stay in it and ensure that you're actually getting those last few reps close to fair. Cause that's something that I think a lot of people don't really um, understand or think about as well. Like let's say you're doing 10 reps of an exercise. Like the, the research and science at this point is, is pretty conclusive that like the only reps that are really helping you like leading to building muscle or Uh, And that sort of thing is those last few reps that are within failure. The first part of that set is just your is just needed to be able to build up the fatigue to have to do those effective reps to where you're in that fatigue state that's going to lead to the most amount of mechanical tension. And again, that's another fully nuanced thing that we could go down and probably talk about for hours. But I think it's too it's important to realize that is like let's say you're doing 20 reps, like Alex said, well 
reps 15 through 20 are the reps that are actually counting and actually leading towards progress. And the same thing, if you're doing eight reps, well, probably reps five through eight are the reps that are actually counting and causing progress and forcing mechanical tension. The reps leading up to that are just the reps that are getting you into the state that's going to put you, that's going to lead to those effective reps at the end of the day. Would, would you agree with that? I agree. And I think that kind of, you know, for a baseline kind of like answer, like obviously, like you said, like we can get a lot more nuanced, but I think it's like a general like rule of thumb. That's just kind of like what to keep in mind when it comes to kind of rep schemes, intensity, adding reps and adding week kind of as a whole. When you're programming, like where, like, let's say that you're working with somebody who's just wanting to potentially get leaner, add more definition to their frame, like build up their glutes a little bit, maybe like add some size to their, their shoulders, like just create more definition and tone the leaner that they get where, what rep ranges are you usually programming in for the majority of people? I would say like 90, like 95, like, like I would say like 98% plus my rep ranges are between like eight to 20, kind of between their majority, like majority, like eight to 15, occasionally like up towards like the 20 rep range. The only time I'll really go, I'll say like lower than like six with people would be if I'm trying to like coordinate like a new movement for them and I want them like to stay fresh and it's more like focusing on like the neurological side of things it's kind of like the coordination as a whole versus trying to actually like build muscle from it so I was like eight to eight like eight to 15 eight to 20 majority and then occasionally lower if I want to focus on like the neuro side of it sure absolutely and then you're just still focused on like that same thing that we mentioned, like in terms of adding weight or reps, you're just talking them through, like, let's add rep. We're going to add reps up to this specific point, which you can hit that number. This is where we're going to come back and add some weight and start back over and continue to increase that. Is that how you set up the majority of your training? Mm-hmm. So, so majority of my stuff is, you know, choose a weight week one. So I program in four week blocks for clients where, you know, you have the same, you know, you know, say four sessions a week, you're going to have like an upper lower split, you know, or, you know, occasion, like, you know, four, maybe like five days, but you'll have those days in there. And then what I do is week one, just go in there, get used to the movements, just find like a baseline weight that you want to use that kind of challenges you week two. Okay. Now you have the weights kind of picked out, go in there and let's say focus on form this week, week three, okay, now let's see, can we maybe, can we maybe push like an extra rep, you know, you know, throughout the workout week four, now let's push for some PRs, you know, kind of increase reps, increase weight, kind of, you know, push and see kind of what progress you've made. Then week five tends to be kind of like a natural deload. There's a new phase, new, you know, new kind of structure of workout. So naturally you have to kind of decrease the weights again, kind of find your baseline with that and then work on kind of increasing your, you know, improving your form increasing reps and increasing weight as time goes on. So that way it's kind of built in naturally with progressions as well as deloads throughout. Yep, exactly. That's we're on the exact same page with that. We, we both program very, very similar, similarly. So, um, I think we crushed that one too, man. I, um, I appreciate you, Alex, taking for time to, to hop on dude and just have a conversation and, and be able to dive into some of this stuff. Like we've talked a lot about, we see things in terms of like, training and nutrition and coaching very, very similarly. And so it's fun to be able to hop on and have conversations because your answers are all 
very similar as to mine, but yet we can kind of bounce perspective off one another to make sure that we're answering questions as a whole, because I'm guilty of that on the podcast. When I just do solo episodes, like I always think about my situation and the clients that I'm working with and the struggles that they're having. Right. And so I'll answer the questions dedicated towards that, but then getting your perspective on it from this, because you're having those same interactions with people, but maybe in a little bit of a different perspective and you're able to add that insight too. So I feel like it just brings gives a lot better answer, insightful answers for people at the end of the day. So we're definitely going to continue to do this. We'll continue to talk about like, we'll, we'll figure out how often, maybe like once a month or something, we'll come on and do Q and a episodes together, maybe even more frequently than that as well. Um, but we'll get all that figured out, man. But as far as moving forward from here for people, if they want to follow along to your content and just like to, to what you're doing, I know that you have a couple different places. One's the women's group, as well as your IG, like I'd love for you just to plug all of that stuff and, and maybe just give a little bit of an insight to what that women's group is. Um, and then let people know about the, um, your Instagram and I'll make sure all of that stuff is linked down below too. Perfect. So Facebook, we have, um, a free Facebook group called Boston lifting women's weight loss workouts, tips, and tricks where I just post stuff, this training tips, nutrition tips, hormone stuff. It's kind of, you know, like I'll post some different weekly challenges in there just kind of keep people engaged and kind of active throughout there. And it's, it's kind of like a, almost like what I consider like a safe place for women, women. Cause I know it's, it's something where not everyone wants to be like sharing this, everything, you know, out with the world. So having kind of, kind of like a close community of people who can keep you accountable, you know, and you can kind of, you know, relate stuff, you know, share ideas back and forth. That's ultimately what that group is for. So if you just search on Facebook, like I said, lost and lifting women's weight loss workouts, workouts, tips and tricks that should pop um, right up. On Instagram, my profile is Alex underscore Johansson, A-L-E-X underscore J-O-H-A-N-N-S-S-O-N. And then there's also the Lost and Lifting um, Instagram page, which they can follow along with as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will make sure to link all of that stuff down below. Um, especially the Facebook group. And just know that that Facebook group um, for you ladies is 100% free. And Alex is just in there posting content. There's a lot of the ladies asking questions. He'll every now and again, do like little accountability things with challenges and, and just little cool stuff like that to keep you engaged as well as um, just give you like, like the group is named some tips and tricks in terms of how to make this whole fitness thing a little bit easier and make sure that you are navigating it in a way that's going to be sustainable for you long-term. So um, again, that will be linked down below as well as, Alex's Instagram will be linked down below as well, as well as the Instagram page for just lost and lifting will be linked down below too. So if you guys have any questions from this episode, if you have any specific questions for Alex, as always, there is that link lostandlifting.com backslash podcast down below to where you can go leave anything that you have. Um, if you want to get in touch with Alex, I'm more than happy to link the two of you up. If you have any, com or if you have any questions of, um, about your metabolism, your hormones, your specific situation, um, birth control, just all that kind of stuff. If you're having questions and you're struggling in any sort of way and you want somebody who is a true expert in this, who has countless certifications, has gone to school for all this kind of stuff, um, reach out and I'm more than happy to get you guys linked up or you can have a conversation with him via Inst or through his, the Instagram link down below too. So Alex, like I said, man, I, um, I really appreciate you coming on, dude. We'll continue to do these things and I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, talk to you soon. Appreciate you, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely.